0: Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, We're here to have this group therapy session. And so um, my name is Zach. I'll be the one leading this overall. Um, First up, uh, what's your name, sir, in the black trench coat?
1: My name is Greg, and I'm a porn addict.
0: We're here are talk. Okay. Um, It's hi, Greg. How are you?
1: I could be better. I could be worse.
0: And you?
2: My, I, I'm. Hello, I'm. I'm Gerard, And uh, I've been to the danger zone. It's east of the Pacific Ocean, west of London, England, south of Mars, and north of Hell. Yeah. And they had Slim Jims. Brother.
0: How? Wasn't,
1: wasn't there? Some... Wasn't there supposed to be a third person here? There were- There's an empty chair right over there. Yeah,
0: there is an empty chair. I believe his name was Jesse, and uh unfortunately he had to go visit his in-laws again. <laughs> so-
1: well,
2: he has it worse than any of us, I guess. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> Jesse has succumbed to his demons.
0: But he we're here. Out, for- he, so he's, rising out, he's rising out of the ocean attacking Tokyo again. <laughs> So, uh, will we, be, be, this will uh, we
1: be fighting somebody else?
0: King Kong. <laughs> this is also known as Tom.
2: Oh, <laughs> anyway. oh my God. Can you imagine Godzilla versus Stagron? Certain bald, fat guys would be getting really excited about this.
0: Oh, dear. Well, this uh, episode is. Greg, I'm going to let you. I'm going to turn it back over to you. Um, Zach, you can come back in now. Well, Thanks, really creepy guy with the NPR voice. <laughs> <laughs> right, see you. Basic, you just take the Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr.
1: Octopus. From now we're poison to Peter Parker
2: and Spider-Man. We're Venom! The green
0: Goblin doesn't take orders from insects the green goblin swaps them into oblivion it's a conspiracy i tell you they're all working together to raise my blood pressure tell me there's something better go ahead try welcome back to uh, the spidey radio network of course we have greg greg this is the is the host of the show so without further ado we'll turn it over to him hello boys
1: and also joining us is Gerard della Well,
0: Yeah, you knew that already. And I have been to the
2: Danger Zone.
1: And Jesse actually is visiting his in-laws. We feel really sorry for him. Yeah, he's been there for over a month.
0: Over a month. It depends on if you, like your if you like your in-laws. No one likes
2: their in-laws, Zach. Stop it.
0: <laughs> My mother loved her mother-in-law. So, well, she's luck. See, but, yeah. but, see,
2: but You could love specific in laws, but as a collective group, usually they're just a bunch of jerks. <laughs> That's yeah, how it is for a... everyone. Yeah, I, I
0: suppose. Well,
2: we're here to
1: discuss the episode group therapy, and this is a big one, actually. A the lot Insidious Six
0: shows up.
1: Yes, the Insidious Six. <laughs> the Evil Six. I mean,. We'll come up with alternate names for them later. We'll talk about. We'll actually talk about Insidious Six a little bit, I'm sure, because we can't help ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, I'm gonna read a synopsis here for group therapy. Hopefully, it's better written than the Persona one.
2: <laughs> Maybe instead of being a lazy prick, you should write your own.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally, I do, but I've had a very rough week at work.
2: Yeah, I hear you.
1: They- they don't allow us bathroom breaks. They don't allow us bathroom breaks. Actually,
2: well, you, well, you see, Greg, you're in a car all the whole time. So what you do is you set up a catheter system where you have the tank underneath your seat. <laughs> you pl- please stop me before I continue to describe this. Your-
1: yes, stop, stop, stop.
2: <laughs> I'm sitting there waiting for you to jump in and interrupt me. You're just not. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually there's, no reason,
0: there's no need for that. Just get a big bottle of Gatorade, drink it all up, and then, well. Well, the point is, you don't want to just whip your cock out in the middle of driving. You gotta just, <laughs> oh, just got to staying in. You just got to be
2: able to let it go. That's why you have a catheter.
0: Pushing. Let it go. Let it go.
1: <laughs> okay, Stop that's definitely not staying in. <laughs> 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 It'll go in and out. This will be an outtake. This will be an outtake. Ahem. Okay, I'm gonna read the synopsis here. Due to good results from psychiatrists – oh, my God, this must be awful psychiatrists – Max Dillon is released from Ravencroft Institute, albeit with his suit still on by Dr. Kafka. We'll talk about Dr. Kafka more later. Yes. Immediately after leaving, he gives a, he makes a call to Otto Octavius, now in prison on Rikers Island, who had written to him about a plot while he was still in, being confined. They both confirmed their intentions, and then Octavius signals Adrian Toomes to gather up more villains. Toombs gives lunch to an irritated and heavily confined Rhino and Sandman, giving a subtle hint of what is to come. Spider-Man is dessert. At night, Electro arrives and causes a distraction. to kills two guards and shuts down the power. Rhino and Sandman break out of their cells and then break Octavius, Toombs, and three other prisoners, the Enforcers, out of prison. Electro and Rhino bust them out, and Hammerhead arrives via helicopter and gives them their equipment before taking two of the Enforcers and heading back to... New York. Meanwhile, Peter wakes up in the afternoon and discovers that the black classroom can make its own webs. Heading downstairs, he finds that Aunt May is really tired and does not want to go to the movies with Anna Watts, to the opera with Anna Watson as she had planned earlier. Peter suggests she goes since she really needs it. Peter later arrives at Empire State University, where he runs into Eddie. Eddie brushes him off, saying that the thing with Peter supposedly being a bystander photographer is with a lizard and black cat did, committed their crimes. Was uh, Basically, he thinks Peter's an asshole now. And uh, let's face it, if you don't know what Peter's doing, he kind of is. He also says that Peter probably doesn't care about anyone or anything and needs a taste of his own medicine. Meanwhile, I think Eddie's the one who needs to be in therapy. Yeah. Peter feels ashamed that he lost his oldest friend, and brushes it off, realizing he has the new suit. Seeing the police chase, he follows it to where Rhino is on a rampage just outside of, just on Broadway near Times Square, the theater where Aunt May and Anna Watson are headed to watch uh, The Merry Lives of Windsor. Spider-Man fights the Rhino, when suddenly the Sandman, Shocker, Vulture, Electro, and Doc Ock appear, forming the Sensor Six, attack Spidey, and proceed to kick his ass. After... just after Spidey ushers Aunt May and Anna Watson to safety in a scene, which I really like, which we'll talk about later, where May collapses and actor St. John Devereaux, who will play a larger part in season two, calls 911. Spidey escapes into the sewers and several of the six pursue him, but he manages to escape. Meanwhile, Eddie takes MJ out in a date to get back at Peter. And we'll talk more about that later. It, uh, it goes badly. It's one of the worst first dates ever. If you, it, it's, it's the worst first date you can ever show up to, to having already bathed. And I hope he bathed.
2: <laughs> no, it's not. I've been on worse.
1: <laughs> nice. At the Daily Bugle, Jameson is angry that Spider-Man helped the Censor Six escape. Robbie then reveals that there were no casualties except for May Parker having a heart attack, and Jameson elects to call Peter at home personally to inform him, but Peter, thinking that he's going to get yelled at for not getting photos, just ignores the call, as several people try to frantically contact him. The Censor 6, with the police right outside, take hostages and have dinner in a restaurant. They end up arguing where Doc Ock calms everyone down with a plan to kill Spider-Man. They take hostages to the bank, which Spider-Man shows up at. And he silently has a really long, really well choreographed fight scene with them. While this is going on, Eddie recklessly takes MJ out on the road on his motorcycle, where he starts ranting about Peter, Peter, driving recklessly, driving like a maniac, ranting and ranting and ranting, until MJ finally says, you know, stop, enough, F you. Yay!
2: (laughs) I've always wanted to say that to Eddie Brock, but I couldn't. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the police, including Captain Stacy, arrive at Central Park while Spidey battles the Sinister Six. Throughout the battle, he doesn't say a word. He defeats Rhino and Electro, de- defeats them all one by one before Doc Ock cap- captures him and nearly impales him on Rhino's horn. But Peter gets away, and he turns the tables on Ock. Is about to kill him before the police arrive, and he runs off. Peter wakes up the next morning with no memory of the fight. Seeing it in the paper, he thinks it's the suit, which he now calls a symbiote, to control of him during the fight, but he brushes it off he before MJ shows up and tells him that Aunt May had a heart attack and is now in the hospital. There's a lot to talk about this week, this month, this episode.
2: It is, which is interesting, considering that most of the episode is dominated by the fight sequences, which are generally not really worth talking about, other than to say that they're damn good.
0: Very well choreographed. Yeah. I love this in fight Probably sequence. one of the best, some of the best fight scenes I've seen in animation uh, for Spider-Man.
1: Oh, agreed. One of, some of the best scenes I've seen in animation for television, period. I think I'm going to start by talking about Doc Ock. I think, I mean... We've seen of Octavius, we, see, we saw him become Doc Ock, where he was more of a supervillain, disgruntled employee, but here, I think, is the first real appearance of Doc Ock. He's a
2: mm-hmm.
1: full supervillain here, he's a leader among supervillains, he's classy, there's that scene where he, tell, where he suggests that Aunt May and Anna Watson step aside, he's behaving very gentlemanly, There, old there also i mean
0: he had some really
1: delicious lines of dialogue rhino you won the coin toss will you crush his skull or simply impale his heart on your horn
2: things like that, R- that... remember when we talked about his first appearance and i was yes. complaining that he was too much of a wimp this is the arc yeah. that i wanted from the beginning <laughs> this is the good <laughs> stuff
1: i was going to turn this over to you here since ock is your favorite spider-man villain are you happy
2: hell yeah <laughs> the only thing that he needed here was to be wearing that business suit from the '90s. That was, that was the only thing missing, really. You get him in a tuxedo in season two at some point. That's true. That's true. Although he's not slim and trim, he's still poorly Ock, but I'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, what a what, now this is more like it. As far as episodes go, I really like this one. Um, okay, take a step back, take a breath. We already talked about how great the action is. Uh, okay. There's a lot of little things going on here that I like. For example, in the jailbreak, where you have that, that little bit where Sandman and the Rhino high five and like, back in business, baby. Because it makes perfect sense, being that they and it eludes their previous history. I like when cartoons or where anything does stuff like that, where you're acknowledging that you have a history, but you're not doing anything ridiculous with it. Um, also, the enforcers get freed during this, but it, it has almost no bearing on the episode. It's But again, doing good continuity work, where you're like, okay, we need them to be out for later. So just have them be involved in this jailbreak. I like that.
1: There is a scene that was cut, which Wiseman has shown at at conventions. It's just going to be in the movie Virgins that never got released, where at the end, when the supervillains are being arrested and taken back to uh, jail, Shocker's led into a police car by two cops, and then when he's in the car, we realize it's the other two enforcers in disguise who drive who drive off Explain why he's not in prison in season two. That scene got cut for time here and was in the be in the DVD, but then wasn't. Mm, oh, God
2: damn it. <laughs> okay. You also have that bit where Electro is sort of filling the role of like a surrogate son to Doc Ock or something, where he looks at Ock as a mentor. It's an, yeah. it's an interesting wrinkle because the problem when you have episodes like this is if the characters, you throw a bunch of characters together that otherwise don't have a previously established history. It's awkward, because then you have to have, have scenes where they interact with each other, and it doesn't work. Here you have two guys who are friends, Sandman and, and Rhino. You have Oc and Electro sort of having a, a, a father-son sort of thing going on. Then you have a couple of other guys who are operating on behalf of like the guy who broke them out. So then you have your power struggles and you have a couple of guys. Ak and, and Vulture had worked together at Oscorp and all that. So the way that the show has was set up from the beginning, which is introducing all these characters pre-transformation, pays off in an episode like this, where you have them all interacting with each other and they're, they're well-defined enough as characters and it makes a lot of sense. And you're never sitting there looking at the screen like, uh, that's weird. I don't know about that one. You know that kind of thing. It doesn't happen in this episode.
1: It doesn't quite. Well, it doesn't quite happen in this episode. Season two really expands on what you were talking about, especially with Otto and Vulture. There are small scenes in season two where they're talking to each other on a first name basis, and it's clear that they were and still are friendly with each other's friends. I mean, mm-hmm.
2: um, a couple of animation things too. Um, the like Zach alluded to uh, in our previous fan panel episode uh the it originally the black costume sort of just looked like a black version of his regular costume and in this episode you're beginning to see the subtle changes as it shifts closer towards the version that we're familiar with from the comics it doesn't have the webbing design on and such like that where it's just the big white spider in the center and it's it's subtly done because it's it happens over the course of the episode or i'm assuming they probably had maybe two stages something like that in the in the original design sheets and then you just went to okay in this scene we'll use this one and then further along we'll use this one. But that's the sort of thing where po- the planning is, is is showing through. Which demonstrates that this isn't something that was cobbled together on an episode by episode basis. There's a lot of good thought and and design work going into every aspect of the show.
1: And and it's worth pointing out also that animation mod- models cost money, so Cheeks got paid extra to do these extra designs for Peter and his costume. I and mean, it could have just gone straight to the big white spider on his chest in his first appearance. I mean, there were some people who complained that they started with the Spider-Man three costume and then it slowly morphed over. But I kind of like it. It's a, it's slow. The, the symbiote slowly taking hold of him. I think it was really well done. And, um, mm-hmm. I'm, and I get why, I mean, the costume in ASM and Spider-Man three probably wasn't all that impressive. And the white, Spider across its chest does look cool. I'll give it that. It does look cool. I have a lot of problems with venom. That's not one of
2: them. But but story justification what, is important. In Secret Wars, his costume looked like it did because it was basically just stealing Spider Woman's costume, who had a yeah. similar design. Spider Man Three, it made sense because it was literally a black ooze over his regular costume, so it would just be yeah. the costume but black. Same thing here except that you're adding the extra wrinkle now that you didn't have in the in the movie version or in the secret wars version which is that it's physically warping as it goes which is nice. Um this one's kind of a complaint but I'll tie it back into being a, a pro which is the 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 animation the the Times Square sequence is is a little wishy-washy as far as animation goes not the actual fighting but it's a limitation in this sort of TV animation that you can't have crowds very often. So that is the emptiest Times square you will ever see. (laughs) And it's a lot less angular than the real Times square, but that's okay because they saved money there and time there so they could use it for the end battle, which is, which is well worth the investment. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll take the trade off (laughs) easily. Um, a couple other little things that I just jotted down. Um, I really hate this this, this Eddie Brock thing. <laughs> I hate Eddie Brock as a character in general. I know we've talked about this. So I've probably hammered it to death. Yeah. But the scene here where he's on the motorcycle driving with MJ is just annoying. It really does drag the episode down. Especially since we yeah. interrupt the, ba- the battle sequence for it.
1: Yeah, it, it is a bit weird. I mean, I get what they're going for. Eddie Brock is his idea of getting back at Peter. I mean, the last time we saw MJ, she was on a date with Peter. He probably assumes her t- together. So he asks her out and takes her on a date. He probably didn't plan for it to go like that. Then he just goes into full rant mode because clearly this guy has major psychological yeah. issues.
2: This is where I'm going to tie it back to the 90s show again. And as we tend to do, because that's a good frame of reference. Um, this is one of the, the, the 90s show could be knocked for a lot of character things. This show almost always does them better. That's one aspect where the 90s show got him, because in this show, Eddie goes from being, hey, I'm, your, hey, bro, you know, we're good friends, too. Fuck that Peter Parker guy. <laughs> I hate his guts. I'm going to steal his girlfriend and almost kill her in a motorcycle accident because I hate him, and he needs to see how much of a bet, ba- you know what I mean? He goes, I don't, It's too fast. I don't think the plan was for him
1: to try to kill her in a.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm it's just it's, saying, it's, 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 he's so cartoonishly evil, so fast.
1: that like a face jarring. heel
0: turn that was like very, very jarring.
1: I think his plan was. I think he was planning to do her. I don't think he was planning to scare her.
2: I, I guess, but the point is, it would be. It would have been nice to have seen. Considering you introduced him at the beginning of the series. It would have been nice to have seen this happen a little more gradually. I think that might be just because, you know, it's Eddie Brock and, and he may have been neglected character wise as far as the writing goes. But it was done better in the 90s show where you can actually see several things that add up that make him kinda po would at Spider-Man.
0: And my apartment.
2: And even and and he doesn't get cartoonishly evil until after the symbiote gets on him. Although he did get
1: a little bit stupid. I mean, there's Spider-Man fighting the supervillain villain. he comes up with a morning star. It's
2: payback time,
1: web slinger. And I'm thinking, you could have picked a better time to strategize to do this, especially with
2: a supervillain who's already trying to kill you. Exactly. But that's the point. It, it's built to that point. You, you're. It's justified by how much he hates Spider-Man. It might stretch the limits of your credibility. But the point is, by that point in the series, we had seen how Spider-Man cost him his health and his apartment. Is the line we make fun of says, like I'd be pretty pissed at Spider-Man too. And if I had an opening, I might go. I'm not Morning Star swinging over my head going for it. But you might, you might trip him, or you know, yeah,
0: I think it's it
2: comes down to, and it's.
0: And, but, uh, would you drive a semi truck when a symbiote? Is
1: that <laughs> oh, that, well, that was a fun scene. We'll talk about that more later. I'm sure we're going to reference that again. <laughs> but uh, it's a bit weird to discuss this for the timing because our listeners will have heard our interview with Greg first, and then we'll, and I'm sure we'll have talked about that scene in depth. But we're recording this before we've sat down to talk with Greg about it, so... We're yanking
2: the curtain back a little bit. Production of these yeah. things is weird. We just like to... Yeah. Um, we go
1: by our scheduling. <laughs> I
2: just I, I, just don't like that aspect of Eddie Brock on this show.
1: Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. Eddie Brock is a character, in just on every medium, it's always been uh, flimsy. I well, mean, the, the
2: medium he comes from, he's flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> the so backstory is a clumsy retcon, so of course he sucks. Uh,
1: I mean, I, I mean, we'll talk about this more later. I, the the character of Eddie, and I, I like the stuff that goes into him. obviously put a lot of effort into him, and I like what Ben Diskin did with him. The Venom character and the Eddie character, and this doesn't really click for me until his arc in season two. And that's one of the few times ever that the character worked for me. Right now, I kind of agree. I mean, I get what they were going for, but I think it could have been done better. I mean, and obviously in a perfect world where these episodes get to run an hour long on prime time, maybe we we could have had more time to devote to that. But when you have 22 minutes. Yeah, I
2: think also part of the problem is that um, it's the catch 22 of Venom as a character in general, which is that he was created in a period of time when they didn't really put a lot of thought into these things. But at the same time, he's so popular, for some reason, again, I'm not someone who shares that, but is, is a character that it, that executives and such always feel has to be introduced as quickly as possible in every medium. So him even showing up in the first season of this show feels a little odd to me. Where it, it, he, he seems like he's almost on a different show that happened to be running parallel to this one, you know what I mean? Where he doesn't seem to, to fit in quite right. And I think, I don't know, again, I'm just spitballing here, I don't know how the, how people think or if they would even admit to it under, <laughs> under penalty of death, but how much of that is just having a character forced on you so you do as little as possible with him just to get him in there because you have to, and how much of that is a creative person getting on a show wanting to introduce Venom? I always think it's the former, because I've never once heard a TV show writer or a comics writer other than David Michelinie really talk about how much they like Venom as a character. I haven't heard
1: that either. I I do think they they brought their... There's only so much you can do with this character. I think yeah. they brought their game and they put in their best effort here. Right, I see what they're going for. The problem is, is that it's a flimsy foundation and that's not the fault of the show itself. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of the foundation of where this character
2: comes from. Absolutely. I'm not blaming the the people that did this show other than the fact that I think they could have done a little bit more with them before this. But with what they had, they did as well as they could, I think. Uh, one one or two other little random things. Sorry, I know I'm going long. Um, uh, I like that Jonah stopped uh, Betty from calling Peter so he can call him himself. Again, Jonah could be the blustery, yelling at, I can't be pictured a Spider-Man, Jonah, but he can also be the the kind-hearted, not really that much of a jerk, as he seems to want to portray himself, Jonah, which I like.
1: Yeah, I prefer three-dimensional Jonah, because this is a character that's easy mm-hmm. to just turn into a caricature. Mm-hmm. I'll, In the wrong hands, that can, that'll happen.
2: I, I, I think the... I always consider the the Sony. I call it the Sony Jonah because the one on this show and the one on the Raimi movies is damn near the same character, and they both have moments like this where they where they just they humanize just enough that it that it's always it always is effective when he humanizes. But then he goes right back to being, you know, classic Jonah and it's great.
1: I mean, if 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 there was a weakness of the Raimi movies and this is only and this isn't even really their fault's runtime, I would have loved to have seen more of that Jonah, but they had to juggle so much in those movies in the 2-hour mm-hmm. space. I mean, and and K. Simmons was great. I mean, mm-hmm. so here we get to really delve into Jonah, which I love because Jonah's one of the classic Spider-Man characters. You could argue that he that uh behind Peter and MJ, he's the most important character in the Spider-Man mythos. I would
2: agree with that. Yeah. And and I think the Amazing Spider-Man movies hurt for not having him in them.
1: At the same time, time would he want to follow up J.K.
0: Simmons? Yeah, well, of course, just did have J.K. All... Simmons do it. <laughs> yeah, sadly, sadly yeah. we got J.K. Simmons doing it in Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh... Not even really. Um,
2: it, it's sort of like uh, Judy Dench as M in the James Bond movies. They rebooted that and they still kept her as M because how do you follow that? <laughs> you just...
1: I mean, they had. I know when they did Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, they had. Darren Norris. There is Jonah, and then they dubbed him over J.K. Simmons, and I loved J.K. Simmons, but he totally phoned it in for that episode. I would have preferred they just kept Darren.
2: Well, we would have also preferred if they had kept uh, Josh Keaton and uh, yes, <laughs> and etc. Yeah. Well, they kept Great Elias Betty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, w- w- uh, two last things. Uh, one, why is Mary Jane walking around in the streets in her pajamas at the end of the episode? <laughs> that was weird.
1: It was early in the morning. She probably saw Peter and ran over to tell him about the. Uh, it,
2: it's just weird because I had this had this show previously established where she lived in relation to him.
1: I, I think it said that she lives in Staten Island with her parents, but she was probably staying with her aunt that night.
2: I don't know. It's just weird. It doesn't seem. Like they never bring it up. Like I'm assuming she must have been across the street or something. And just ran across when she saw him through a window or something. Yeah, but, she probably. She, yeah, she, But she, it's just weird. No, she just walks up to his house. <laughs> in her
1: no, no, aunt, no, Aunt May lives next. No, no, a- 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 Anna Watson lives next door. They, they established that, and MJ lives with her parents on Staten Island. Okay. That's why she was taking the Staten Island ferry in to meet.
2: Okay, and uh, finally, uh, the whole reveal at the end where he was uh, asleep and the costume was basically doing all the work in the fight at the end. Uh, interesting, but I thought it was a little awkwardly executed here. Where, how can I put this? Um, he's not talking during the fight or anything like that. Obviously, it all it all works out in terms of the internal logic, but I think they glossed over it a little too quickly. The fact that this alien was just took him for a joyride, or he got the crap beaten out of him, and defeated six supervillains, and it goes by really fast. We're like, almost as if you had looked at your phone for a second, you would have completely missed that, which is a huge plot point.
1: So also in the psyche, they were trying to be subtle about how the alien is slowly taking taking over like he's already kind of halfway between this thing so it's influencing this thing and his thoughts aren't even necessarily his thoughts
2: although I'll, I'll give them a bonus here I think this is the first time we've gotten that in in another medium which is that is actually what it was doing in the comics it was not turning him evil or anything like that that we've gotten since but it was taking him for joy rides that much is accurate so it was nice to actually get that here I just wish we could have just gotten that instead of the he also he symbiote is also turning him evil thing <laughs>
1: i'll admit the whole symbiote feeding on pushing negative emotions is something that i liked it in the 90s show and it, it worked in the in spider-man 3 and i thought it worked here also i'm mean, gonna argue about how it was executed but what was it doing to him exactly in the original comic books i kind of like um, I, I prefer the symbiote if you're gonna have the symbiote i prefer it being a villain instead of just yeah i want to share a body with you uh yeah,
0: well, in, in the, actually in the, in the comic Oh, am sorry go ahead Zach. Um, in the comics, it did take it would take him out for a joyride. He would he he got to where the point where he's like physically he was exhausted, right?
2: Yeah, and he didn't know what it was until he he just I think he was it was in the uh, ASM two fifty eight. I think where where Reed is explaining yeah. right, and he's yeah. alive, and suddenly it clicks in his head where he's like, wait a minute. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I get that, but I feel there's more dramatic potential with them. Um, and John Semper came up with this initially, and uh, mm-hmm. brilliant move for there, Mister Semper.
2: <laughs> you know what? As, as sarcastically as you say that, I wasn't being sarcastic, actually, because okay, usually you are when it comes to the '90s show. Because I know you don't—you're not really a fan. Although, although sure. later versions have made you appreciate it a bit more. Um, hey, hey d-
1: despite all the flaws, it had heart and understood the
2: character. Yeah didn't understand every character but it got Peter um but it was great it was a great introduction for that series I just wish it wasn't a staple that came in every version now that's the problem that I have with it it worked it worked in the 90s show it did work in Spider-Man 3 because that was the whole point of the movie really was with that dichotomy so it worked there and it works here but I think it's starting to get stale already it works here because you're also combining it with the comics thing, so it's a little bit more nuanced than before. But pretty much everything after this is where it's just it's just so played out. <laughs> Stop doing that.
1: What did Ultimate Spider-Man do with this thing? It was
2: it was the same thing. It was it was turned.
1: No no! no I'm talking about the uh, cartoon. I remember oh. what it did in the comics, but I know uh, my my friend Alex Wyden. He wrote a Review of that episode. I remember he said something about how the episode Venom on that show was about a monster that literally came out of the toilet that nobody wanted to go near, and he couldn't think of a better analogy to describe the show itself if he tried. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, do you know?
0: Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> okay, did you hear us? I didn't hear what you guys said. What was it? Oh, you were talking about the Ultimate spider cartoon. What did what did the Venom symbiote do in the Ultimate Spider-Man?
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> I mean, it came out of a toilet or something. <laughs>
0: Sort of, Um yeah. It attacked through the plumbing uh, at the school and it attached to hairy creation of Dr. Octopus. Creepy Wait a stock- minute, it wasn't even an alien, it was synthetic? Synthetic, yeah. Oh, and then in season four, they bring in, uh he creates the anti-venom symbiote. Wait, wait, wait what do you mean he? Doc Ock is at it again? Yes. Yes, <sighs> Doc Ock, who looks like Doc Ock circa slot era. Oh. It gets better. They introduced this girl at Spider. Don't call him Kane. Call him Ben, thanks to Aunt May, who knows the Peter Parker Spider-Man. Um, and he is now part of the Web Warriors. Wait and a he's a he's a sorta studio clone of a human mixed with spider DNA. By Dr. Octopus. Okay. Oh. Okay. Wait, so Dr. Octopus
2: created the Venom symbiote, the anti-Venom symbiote, and Kane, except that
0: Kane is not called Kane, he's called Ben. Mm-hmm. But everything what? that you like about the Scarlet Spider in the comic, this version of Scarlet Spider has. The attitude and hold on, yards. Oh, and Miles for some reason is now in the, in, he was in an alternate universe, but now he's actually in the uh, the, the series proper. So...
2: Well, I've certainly not missed anything
0: by not watching the show. I w- yeah. Oh, and they introduced Michael Morbius as 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 a uh, as a lab assistant. I wish Morbius turned up
1: here so we could make '90s show jokes.
0: <laughs> you can still make them anyway. Who cares?
2: Alicia.
1: <laughs> oh, we should have done that last week with the last month. With oh, the we're
2: dumb. We didn't think of that. Um. Uh, all right. Uh. Bef- i'll I'll, zach you go ahead and have your points
1: Uh, one of my favorite scenes in this episode though is uh i love the dinner scene just six supervillains sitting there eating dinner i mean that's what i would do if i was a villain and i broke out of prison the police have it surrounded what are they doing now i think they're having dinner why
2: not you're not gonna do anything else um because uh, I wanted to discuss the roster of this Sinister Six versus the comics versus the Insidious Six, but let's—I've uh, been
0: talking for a while, so Zach, I guess, should give his thoughts first, and then we'll do it. Yeah, I—I I enjoyed this episode, and I enjoyed how Spider-Man beats ass. Um, he just—the fact that he takes on the Sinister Six, and first he gets his butt kicked, as he and- should. As he should. I mean, because he's got six of his most um, fearsome foes attacking him. And really, it feels like everything was building to this episode. And to me, I was kind of surprised this wasn't the season finale. Should have been. Probably should have. Should have been.
2: been. Well, then again, I hate Venom, so I just didn't want to see that. But
0: Right. Um, but this to me was, I felt like the cu- culmination of all the other episodes. It felt like, um, it felt there was a genuine stakes here. And it, it had done it, this, it had been crafted so well previous that the stakes finally were realized in this episode. And so when we finally get there, it makes sense. So I have to give a ton of credit to Greg and the crew for making this work. And uh, obviously we've talked about the the fight scenes were just phenomenal, but this really shows you how powerful Spider-Man can be. Even with an augmented symbiote or symbiote augmenting his power, excuse me. He can, he is powerful enough to take on these six guys and beat them. (coughs) Now, Later on, when he doesn't have the symbiote, could he do the same thing? I don't know. It it would be a fifty fifty split, but a very very good episode. And I think him not saying anything also made his villains uncomfortable. Yeah, and and it it was it was effective because
1: it it tipped Doc off. I knew you were getting serious when you stopped cracking your whatever the wrestling mm-hmm. line was, but
0: right. wise cracks
2: <laughs> cracking or wise cracks. Doesn't sound like something <laughs> they would have written. That's
0: a little too uh... <laughs> cracking wise. Yeah. There we okay. go. Um, but I, I, like I say, I enjoyed the episode. This one is going to get an a minus for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought even the drama with, uh, aunt Anna and aunt may and her having her heart attack. And, um, was a was a good it felt like aunt may was actually being used well and um yeah i i thought i thought this was a good episode and i'm not even i think she's staying around the corner um and just or next door and happens to see peter out reading the newspaper having his and i love the fact that that they have him having his internal monologue Like, I could read the thought bubbles as I'm listening to him talk when he's standing outside at the very end. Very, very effective.
1: I I definitely think so.
0: Okay, so in
2: this episode, it's Doc Ock, uh, Electro, Ultra, Sandman, Rhino, and the Shocker. Yeah. Okay, the original comic Sinister Six was Doc Ock... Uh, Vulture, Electro, uh, Sandman, and I think it was Mysterio and Craven, right? Yes, yes it was. Okay, and the Insidious 6 from the 90s show was, of course, it was Doc Ock, uh, Shocker, Mysterio, I think, um, Chameleon, Rhino, and the Scorpion.
1: Yeah, this uh, Greg also said that Every season, the, the six would have appeared, it would have been a different roster. I mean, it's a different roster next season,
2: right? It, it, it over history, it's always changed, yeah. Except when I think when Burn and Mackie tried to mm-hmm. fully have it be the originals, except Craven yeah. was dead, so you had to, Alyosha pretending to be Craven being Craven,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh-huh. and. and yeah, yeah. And the lineup here makes sense. It's who Oc had access to and could contact. I mean well, I guess... which also fits into why he didn't invite Lizard or Green Goblin. If he had Green Goblin's address, he probably would have invited him to join up in this old, in this universe also. But um
2: was there a, was there a reason why he, a can, not reason why he didn't invite the Green Goblin in uh, the original comics? Well okay, I was about to get to that. I think he did invite if I remember the comics right, I think he did invite the Green Goblin and and he didn't respond. Like he sent out invites to basically every villain that Spider-Man had fought at that point, that he could get his hands on. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Green the Green Goblin either turned it down or just never sent anything back. But it, yeah, but basically because... the six that joined him are, are the exacts are the only six that answered the call. Otherwise, yeah, it would have been he... the you know the Sinister Eight or something.
1: Yeah, and the Evil Eight. Yeah,
2: exactly. I was I couldn't think of something with E fast enough
1: yeah and he i mean, and here uh I mean it's sort of the same he invited the ones he had access to i mean he green goblin semi a no one knows where how the lizard is, and i think in uh, the original comics, the only ones he didn't invite were um or the living brain green goblin and chameleon and tinkerer,
2: yeah, but then chameleon was in was in jail. So some All
1: of, them, of were, them were, but I'm saying like
2: a chameleon might've been in a more severe lockup because it was some international intrigue going on there. So I'm assuming that, that for the justification of the story, they couldn't get him. Um, also what the hell would he be able to do? <laughs> Cause in the comics, he was a non-superpowered guy at that point. that just wore masks and stuff. He wouldn't help them. He wouldn't have been any help to him. Uh but the point I'm trying to th- think of the comparison here, because there's a lot of overlap, because the original comics one had Ock Vulture, Electro, and Sandman in it. The only two different ones were Mysterio and Craven. At this point, Craven doesn't exist on the show. And neither is Mysterio. Quentin Beck does. Well, but... Yeah, well yeah, but he's not Mysterio yet. The... Not yet. A couple more episodes. We're almost there. Mm hmm. And then. Because I'm trying to think which lineup... Uh, that's where I'll ultimately where I'm going with this. Which lineup do I like better?
1: I mean, also the... As recall, the Insidious 6 had a couple different lineups in the 90s, so they eventually added a uh, Vulture to it when Mysterio committed suicide via Cyborg.
2: <laughs> right, and I th- it was the young Vulture, right?
1: Yeah, the young Vulture. Uh, yeah.
2: Hmm. So I'm trying to think, because... I think the Insidious 6 gets docked a point because Chameleon is on the team, and that's like cheating. <laughs> <laughs> because basically, they just had him for you. Although, you did get that great scene where he was like the hag on me. <laughs>
1: oh, God. Yeah, that was just weird. That just makes the episode. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. My pretty. Hmm. Because there's also oh. a lot of overlap with that team. Because that team had Ock, uh, Shocker, uh, and, and Rhino. So, three of the yeah. guys were different. And then. Oh.
1: Well, I'm not entirely sure which lineup I like best either. I mean, one thing I, I'll give this: I like that it's Ock's show. I mean, yeah, they coordinated yeah. with Hammerhead and, and Big Man, but Big Man was obviously not their boss. He just loaned Shocker to them at mm-hmm. one point. I mean, I like I, I like Ock being the leader among supervillains. I yes. like that. That
2: was that, I mean, in the original comics. He was as well. He was the one yes. behind all this in the in the '90s show. The Insidious Six was Kingpin's creation, except yeah, they, that there was a power struggle where Ock wanted to run the team. And eventually he sort of did.
1: Mm-hmm. That was uh, during the uh, Six Forgotten Warriors story well, later I, on. I just mean
2: just in their original story. He just wanted to go off and do his own his own stuff instead of listening to the Kingpin.
1: Yeah, he offered him a lab. Mm-hmm. But as I, as I recall, it's been a while, but, um, but I do like that Ock is running the show himself. I, I love over-the-top Silver Age supervillain Ock.
2: Yes. Yes. When it makes sense. It doesn't make sense for him to be doing that in the comics now.
1: But I don't even sense. know what he's doing in the comics now. I don't particularly care what he's doing in the comics now, but
2: Well, he's writing the Amazing Spider-Oh, that's not <laughs> what you meant. <laughs> Another dance slot fat joke off the uh, checklist there.
0: Yeah, we probably know yeah.
2: <laughs> He's coming back during that event. You know he is.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, just uh but but yeah, I, I like that they're their own thing, that their, their own group. I mean, yeah, they coordinated with Big Man, but Ak is their leader, he's their boss, and they defer to him, I mean, he quickly takes control in that dinner scene.
2: Mm-hmm. The one thing that's a little hinky for me is their sole motivation here is to take out Spider-Man. And I yeah. I don't know, I feel like the way that they've characterized Ock, especially in this episode, he would have a higher goal than that. But at the same time, it's like Spider-Man is the only impediment to most of their goals, so would they just team up and be like, alright, get Spider-Man now, do other stuff later
1: season two
2: (laughs) exactly that was called a tease greg (laughs) (laughs) nice i know the podcast game (laughs) anyway enough of that palaver
0: let's go (laughs) on
1: zach what'd you think of the six
0: i i think that they it was really well done um I mean, the only ones that were really missing to me was Craven, but we get him in season two. No, no, we don't need Craven on the
2: Sinister Six. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he adds nothing. <laughs>
0: He's a hunter.
2: Mariah! Um, See, I don't know. We'll, just... we'll
1: have plenty of time to talk about Craven. We'll get to Craven. I just,
2: I hate when they have like t- super teams and they always have to have that one asshole who doesn't have powers or anything. <laughs> like, they're like, you don't add anything. Stop it. Batman. Unless, well, see, but that's the difference, though. Batman has been flanderized to being the super bestest superhero ever to the point where, like, he can beat Superman with an arm tied behind his back. So, so he basically has a Do superpower. It's called, he has a superpower. It's called Every Writer is a Fanboy. I thought his
1: superpower was being white and rich. <laughs> yeah. Well, that too.
0: Um, I, I wish I, I was I, white and rich. I enjoyed um, The six. I enjoyed um, what they brought to the episode. I liked the roster. Um, I liked that that Oak tried to like when he jumps on top of Vulture and he can't pull off the uh, the pack. Um, he's like, ah, I improved my design as I eat, g- dr- go into your nightmares. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But, On that note, I just have to say one thing before we go in. There's rumors
1: that Vulture is supposed to be the villain in the next movie and that they talked to Michael Keaton and Michael Keaton turned it down. Just ask Robert England.
2: <laughs> yeah, that works.
0: Robert England can still scare the crap out of anybody.
1: I'll it, take it. Yeah, he can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> proceed, Zach.
0: But uh, I, liked, I liked Shocker being back. Um, I, I still like this version of Shocker probably the best. Yeah, that's because um, he's not Texan. Right, well, you know, I mean, I am biased, but, um, I, you know, I liked Auk. I loved Auk in this episode. This is the Auk that this is the Auk you've been waiting for. Um, this is truly where Auk came into. To me, I feel like he comes into his own as a villain is this episode. So liked him a lot. Um, just liked everybody. I, I even liked Electro and how they use Max. Yeah. So, um, they get an A out of me. I don't know if we're going to give grades on the 6, but... I
1: mean, I really... I mean, just... The One thing I like about all this is that they didn't fight amongst themselves. I mean, so often you see that. I mean, Justice League did that with the Legion of Doom, the Injustice Gang. You often see the supervillain groups come together, and they tear each other apart because they can't work with each other. But that doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen in Season 2.
2: They, they actually work really well together. Well, again, that's because most of them have previously established histories. I think it works when you do throw a bunch of random villains together. I.E. the Insidious Six. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Where they started I mean, to step on each other's toes and all that stuff. That makes sense.
1: Uh, I mean, on the other hand, if Green Goblin was here, he and Ak would have been, mm-hmm. of course, concerned who. I mean, but yeah, although Goblin would probably still hit his identity, but still, he, those two would have been. Neither of those two are going to take orders from the other. Right.
2: Exactly. See? See? See what happens when you write characters well and they're established and then you put them together and let them play off each other? It always makes sense. Yeah. That's why you don't try to start a movie franchise and have the, in- the Sinister Six show up by introducing three <laughs> villains and then still f- trying to fill in the gaps later. It doesn't work, Sony. Stop it.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I'd love to see the Sinister Six in a movie sometime.
2: Just do it right. Of course, huh, that's a pipe dream. Well, is it real? Because I mean, we kind of—I feel like we're gonna get it, but it won't be the Sinister Six. It'll be another. It'll be like the Marvel movies that do it, or
1: the Masters of Evil, maybe.
2: Yeah, something like that. Yeah,
1: that's. What... Or the Thunderbolts or something.
2: Exactly. It'll be something where it, it's it's the Sinister Six like, but thing, but you—it's not actually the Sinister Six. Or maybe maybe that's what Justice Legal. League... Oh God, I'm not even gonna try it. <laughs> Forget it.
1: Yeah, let's not go there. Let's not go there.
2: <laughs> Besides, Superman would just break everyone's necks. It wouldn't... <laughs> and the...
1: No, no, no. They would just say that their name, their mom's names, is Rosa Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no. That's how you stop Batman.
2: <laughs> well, no. Then you can make Superman angry by, by bringing up Martha too much. What did you say?
1: That's how Lizard defeats Batman. His wife's name is Martha.
2: Lizard defeats Batman? <laughs>
1: The lizard. That's how the lizard would defeat Batman. Oh, yes.
2: Martha is his wife's name. Yes. Oh, no. My wife. Tell, say goodbye to my beloved wife. Martha. What's What did you say? It was going to happen. We God, gonna God, Godzilla listen. is laying there. Say goodbye to Mothra. What? <laughs> what did you say, Martha? Oh, God. <laughs> Robbie is laying there after the Daily Bugles kept blowing up. Please say goodbye to my wife, Martha. What did you say your wife's name is? There's a, there's a lot of Marthas in comics now I think about it. Yeah,
1: when's, when's the last time you met someone under 50 named Martha? Well, the last time
2: I met anyone named Martha? I don't think I've ever met a person named Martha.
1: No one to name their kids Martha today. pretty much means like girl servant or something.
2: <laughs> it's also one of those names that you just associate with old biddies. Like, would you name your da- daughter, like, you know, Beatrice, or... <laughs> no. <laughs> or, like... <laughs> I don't know, what's, an- what's another good one? Uh, well, Martha is a good one. Uh, <laughs> We're going off on a tangent here, but... <laughs> We're uh... coming up with old women names. That's the good... Aunt
1: May. Aunt May. Aunt May, Anna Watson. Okay. But I met plenty... <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, just... I just love the use of the six, and I remember the first time I watched this episode, and Doc Ock had his line: to Rhino, will you crush his skull or simply impale his heart on your horn?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, the f- you could never have gotten that line into the Fox Kids show." I was
2: gonna say, I was just gonna ask you, how would they have bottlerized that one in the '90s show?
1: Will you destroy his skull or destroy his heart?
2: No, they wouldn't even have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so. Destroy him
1: destroy him. Rhino, destroy him.
2: <laughs> As it is, weren't they supposedly called the Sinister Six because he couldn't use... or they called the Insidious Six because they couldn't... They, Fox was uncomfortable with the word Sinister being there.
1: Yeah, well, they had some Sinister over on the X-Men and... Yeah, I don't know. Something
2: about that has always been... John Semper has since uh, come out on, like, Facebook and said that there was no censorship on the show. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> there is Obviously, I don't. That is the like biggest bunch of BS. So I, yes, people that are listening, I know that Semper has denied that the show was censored, but I don't buy it. I think he's just playing a political game because he still wants to work, you know.
1: Also, at the same time, it's been 20 years. Writers talk about censorship on their shows all the time. Semper, you can talk about it. It's okay. (laughs) Exactly.
2: I I don't think any human being would logically come up with having carnage drain the life force of people. (laughs) Come on.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, just... The, that line, and even there was something creepy about this other line, your new suit interests me, Rack, and I'm going to enjoy peeling it away for further study, and Peter McNichol is so good in this role.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, he learned from, I mean, he learned from Vigo how to villain it up, so...
1: <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that, but it, it, it was just so good, and there's just, there's little sequences in this. I mean, the, the ferocity of that fight, you know, so when Shocker is one of his gauntlets and part of his costume ripped off and he still lunges at Spidey, dodge this!
2: Hearing <laughs> for a Shocker web I was waiting for that one, but that's too, that's too cheesy for this show.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to insert some Shocker lines from the 90s series you're shocker
2: you can't escape me i'll chase you to the ends of the earth get back here
0: shocker. shocker you can't escape me
2: i'll chase you to the ends of the
1: earth every time shocker comes up listeners we're gonna <laughs> it's gonna keep on happening come on you know
2: that's my favorite bit from the from the entire show or spider-man and animation in general i'm gonna bring it up as often as i can
1: and also this is aunt may's first heart attack and hopefully had this show gone on for five seasons her last heart attack
2: well no her last heart attack would be the last heart attack if you know what i mean
1: (laughs) oh god but yeah i mean this aunt may is a bit young it's it's a little bit younger than the um One from the classic comics, not as young as she's gotten in other media over the years. Marissa Tomei is so hot. Who
0: is she? Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei? Marissa Tomei's sitting home, Elaine! (laughs) Why why, why didn't you tell me that Katie was friends with Marissa Tomei? Let me ask you something. You, uh, you ever hear of Marissa Tomei? Marissa Tomei? Mm Mm-hmm. How does she know Marissa Tomei? I, I don't know, I didn't ask. You didn't ask how she knows Marissa Tomei? Marissa Tomei! She said I was just her type. Marissa Tomei loves funny, quirky, bald men. Marissa Tomei! You know Marissa Tomei won an Oscar for that? Marissa Tomei! He wants me to fix him up with Marissa Tomei. This is Marissa Tomei, Elaine! An Oscar winner! How can I live the rest of my life knowing I could have been with Marissa Tomei? What about Marissa Tomei? Anyway, I was thinking about what you said about uh, me and Marissa, you know.
1: That's another Marissa Tomei movie. I-
0: yeah, I, I have a thing for Marissa Tomei. Who would try and fix me up with Marissa Tomei? And I love you, Marissa. You're bad. You have got to get me Marissa Tomei's phone number. I just got off the phone with Marissa Tomei. I just spoke to Marissa Tomei. Oh, Marissa. What? I'm, you know, engaged. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Greg, you can't bring that up. Stop slut shaming on me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've heard this. <laughs>
1: Never mind. Oh, I mean, oh
2: uh, Tumblr, you so crazy.
1: But yeah, I know in the old I mean in the ultimate cartoon she's obviously younger and the uh and uh I know Sally Field played her younger than was obviously younger than Rosemary Harris and uh the ASM movies, but... Why is, that a, this, why is that a thing? I don't know. But this, uh... But I think this... I mean, I kind of like the way they went with the Aunt May. She's older, but she's not ancient. She's not going to keel over any second now. I mean, yeah, she had a heart attack, but... See,
2: that, happen, uh, that worked she, in the 60s comics because they were probably working on the assumption that comics had a limited t- time to live. <laughs> so, like, yeah. it, it would have worked if you you know, if you're going to run for Ten years, and you have the frail old Aunt May. But once you started to get to twenty years, thirty years, it started to get okay. This is getting a bit much.
1: I mean, we do the. Ma- I
2: mean, we have the master planner arc in season
1: two, and obviously Aunt May's life is not at stake there the way it was in the original story, which is soon after another hospital visit. I mean, I wish Bertoni was here because he knows this stuff
2: inside and out, <laughs> and my memory is Swiss cheese.
1: But uh. But yeah, it, I mean, it just felt really organic. I like the way they're building up to things, and and um, it's. I think this is, the episode is one of the
2: highlights of the season. I I would agree with that. This is an A effort for me. Well,
1: it's an A for me also. Zach, any uh, final thoughts on the episode? Uh
0: again, a good episode. I enjoyed it. Um, it's again some of the best choreographed stuff we've already talked about on TV. Um, overall, a really really. Um, good episode, although I'm surprised, like I say, I was surprised it wasn't season finale, but, uh, must watch TV.
1: Agreed. The fight scenes were just so great in this. I mean, and this is at a time when fight scenes and cartoons were getting really well choreographed. You had Avatar last year, doing some really elaborate fight scenes. You had other shows, Young Justice would later do them. But it's I mean, you look at this, and we've come a long way since the 90s, where shows even, or even shows like Batman and Gargoyles had some, due to the anima- animation limitations, while they had beautiful animation couldn't really go this quickly or this smoothly. I love seeing where this is, I love seeing this paid off. It was a beautiful fight scene,
0: indeed. Indeed, it was.
1: And I, and I give the episode a solid A.
2: Mm-hmm. A minus for me, and an A for me. Uh, one little miscellaneous ah. note I want to throw out there um, for anybody who has the, this uh, show on Blu-ray or DVD: uh, the there's a behind-the-scenes featurette about the, how the episodes are made and such, and it actually was made during the production of Group Therapy. So it's it's essentially like a behind-the-scenes of how this episode was made, which is interesting.
1: They probably chose that episode because they would have had most of the cast in, so you yep. easily get them in front of a camera to
2: Interviews. talk to
1: them, although they had Alan, Alan Rakens in also and he wasn't in the episode.
2: <laughs> yep. Also worth noting, uh, you see lots of little behind-the-scenes tidbits, like you get to see them recording dialogue and such, and Crispin Freeman actually does the temp track for Sandman for this episode, which is weird because you get to hear him doing a Sandman voice. It's actually really interesting to watch.
1: There you go. Yeah, and, and another little tidbit: Ben Diskin's voice, Eddie Brock's last name is misspelled in the end credits for this one episode.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oops. Yeah, sorry, Ben. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I really I think we've said it all. This was a very solid episode. One of the highlights of the season. and One of the highlights of the series.
0: Yeah, and uh, sounds like we're going to wrap the show up there. Remember, if you want to leave us a line, you can go to spectacularradio at gmail.com. You can also leave us a message on Facebook if you'd like, spidey-dude.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail, 818-925-6631. I'm Zach Joyner, executive producer for Greg and Gerard. We'll see you next time here on Spectacular Radio. Uh, Yes, I'd like to speak with Marissa Tomei, please. (laughs) Marissa, hi, it's, uh, it's George Costanza. I'm the short, funny, quirky, bald man you met a little while ago. (laughs) Yeah, I I was just calling because uh, I wanted you to know that, uh, I'm not engaged anymore. Well, uh, she died. Toxic glue from the wedding invitations. Well, we were expecting about 200 people. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've got the funeral tomorrow, but, um. My weekend is pretty wide open, and, uh, you know, I was wondering, hello? Hello? Only six, huh? What happened? Lizard and Goblin had Nick's tickets?